Welcome to Speaking of Humanity. I'm Nahama Robinson, developer of the Unconflict Personality System for Supporting Relationship, www.unconflict.com. All right. Good afternoon, Nikama. How's it going? It's going great. So nice to be on this podcast with you, Ashish. Uh, I really appreciate uh, you inviting me. Likewise, likewise. This is something that I've been uh, looking forward to for a while because I find this very intriguing myself personally. Um, You know, and, you know, you came up with this algorithm um, called Unconflict. You have unconflict.com. We'll we'll unravel this in a second, but um, tell me a bit about like how you got into this field. What got you excited about this, and and how how has it become your calling? Wow, that's a big question. Um, I'm going to try to you know let me sort of sort of try to make this all compressed <laughs> in my brain. Um, so I'm actually 57 years old. Uh, late bloomer, you know, uh, professionally, I guess. Um, but I've always been, I've always been a thinker. I mean, from when I was a young child, I was always a philosopher. You could say that. And been an observer of human nature. I mean, honestly, from when I was a young child, um, and you know, when I was up to a certain age, I sort of thought everyone was like that. And then I came to figure out that was not the case. And, I I, really from a pretty young age, I did start realizing that, yes, everyone is unique, but a lot of people could understand one another better than I felt people were understanding me. So that was just something that was just part of my daily awareness uh, that I always had. So that was just, I think, in the back of my mind, you know, that was just something that sort of laid the really, really deepest foundations for, for the work that I do now. I've always been an entrepreneur, uh, kind of my, my two passions in life have always been holistic living, natural foods, and psychology. So in my 30s, 20s, 30s, sort of, uh, my entrepreneurship really went in the direction of natural foods. I was actually a vendor to the Northeast region of Whole Foods Market for just a few months. Then I went bankrupt because not what I'm, you know, the business part was not, you know, not my strength. Um, And then what I decided to do after I declared bankruptcy, honestly, is, okay, what am I, you know, really, who am I? You know, I kind of really had to reassess and, you know, who am I as, as a grown up, you know? And um, I decided to go back to school. I, I had a bachelor's degree, but I decided to go back to school to earn a master's degree. Um, and I actually, gra- I graduated with my degree when I was 40. I mean, I went back to school at age 38 to get a master's degree uh, in in counseling psychology, basically. And at that point, I didn't, I kind of, I've worked with kids. I actually have a lot of teaching experience. Um, Again, I've always been an outside the box thinker. So I don't have a teaching degree, but I, I took unique kinds of special, what are, what are termed special needs uh positions because i always loved working with children adults as well but you know at that point it was really focused on children who 
were what I felt being misunderstood, right? Because their their mechanism for absorbing information, for learning, was not, you know, didn't fit in to the typical school system. And so, you know, I could see in these kids' faces and that I had, that I was teaching special needs. I taught kids with emotional challenges. I taught kids who were more, um, you know, who had specific learning challenges and, and real barriers. So I, I taught all kinds of kids. And what, to me, all of them had in common, and, and really the, the piece that always struck me is that they were misunderstood. It, it didn't really matter where where that came from, their, their kind of the challenge, the fact that it was a challenge for them to learn in a typical classroom, they felt misunderstood and they were being misunderstood. And so that's always what drew me to, you know, to do that work. Of completing my master's, I did two clinical internships. One was at an elementary school and one was at a Head Start program, which is basically mm-hmm. preschool. Right. Um, and again, that was sort of my focus. And I actually thought that I was going to be going into, you know, working with preschool. And I ended up even giving a presentation that was some um, preschool education conference. And, and I presented there. And what there were a couple of preschool teachers who really were, you know, very excited about, you know, whatever it was I was presenting. But for the most part, and, and I've experienced this in life a lot, and it's it's always a learning um, I, I figured out that I needed to pivot because I've always been in, I, I'm, I've always, the way my mind functions is in a naturally academic way. And even mm-hmm. I could have all the, I could have the best theoretical conceptual understanding of these kids, but that didn't really help their teacher in yeah. in the moment when she's struggling, right? I didn't quite, I could connect with the kids, but not with the teachers, you know? And so I, I sort of realized that that just wasn't, that wasn't the place where I could be most useful, you know? And it was a little bit of a hit to my ego because I thought here I am bringing something so great because I really understand these kids, but they, you know, it wasn't, yeah, that wasn't how it was received. And so I, I really had to shift my focus. And mm-hmm. so Honestly, I wasn't even clear. I was like, okay, not sure where I'm going to go from here. Um, And I ended up deciding to, so I decided I started um, in my Head Start program. My supervisor uh, for my clinical internship was very much into temperaments. Yes. So I don't even know if it's still being used uh, in the preschool sort of community. But when I was at the Head Start program, my supervisor was very, very big on temp- the temperament scale. And even the temperament scale, it's the, the temperament scale itself can have, some people will say it has nine temperaments, some 12, mm-hmm. you know, it's not even one, just one scale. But the idea is that if you understand the temperament of a child, it really gives you a lot of information, but you don't have to get to know them over time as much. And you, it gives you a lot of information about their, you know, the best of interaction that will have the greatest chance of success with them. So that was something that it was interesting because I had a, I had a lot of resistance originally to that because I'm very much an individualist. 
So to me, the idea that, you know, the entire, uh, all of humanity can be, I'll use the word reduced, even though that's not how I see it now, but at the time it felt like that reduced to, you know, 10 personalities, give or take, or 10 temperaments, give or take, really went against the grain for me or, you know, went against the grain of my thinking. Because I just thought there's just no way that you can account for individuality that way. Um, and that's why I do specifically have a mechanism for accounting for individuality in a really, um, uh, what I consider to be in a sophisticated way within, within my algorithm. So, but, but what was interesting to me and what really hit me was that it was useful, right? So ultimately when, when you're developing any kind of system or algorithm, to me, the test of legitimacy, kind of the, the scientific measure of the legitimacy of, you know, a hypothesis or a theory or, you know, whatever, is that, you know, there are really two things. One is, can it accurately predict? So if you, if you use this, can you sort of then say, oh, if this, if this person sort of fits into this category, then, you know, what will they think? What will they do? And have some consistency with that where you're actually able to effectively predict. And the other is that you're able to problem solve so that if you can then use that information to help someone. So what I was noticing, so, so when you have something that's helpful, even if, even though I'm, I'm a very theoretical person by nature, right? I kind of like the theory of it, but if something works on a practical level, you know, I gotta, I gotta accept it, right? I mean, the proof is in the pudding. So I can't just say, well, because, because the theory to me seems whatever, you know, I, yeah, I don't like it. If it works, it works. And you got to honor that and you have to really figure that out. So, um, or, or for me, it's about figuring out why it works then and then building on that. So temperament skill, I saw, I saw those work to some extent, not always. And there were a lot of gaps, but I, I saw that they didn't never work. You know, there were times when they worked. And then over the, a couple of years, um, I'm trying to remember. So after I, so when I graduated, after I graduated, I was actually on the East Coast. I earned my master's on the East Coast. And then right after I graduated with, at age 40, moved out to California, moved out to the Bay Area. And was really trying to, I sort of went, you know, I thought, okay, I'm going to go and, you know, get a job at some clinic, um, you know, and I kind of tried to go that route, even though that's, that's never been my way. I'm always I'm not very good with authority, you know, and that, that speaks to my personality system as well. Um, and so it was clear that wasn't, that just wasn't going to happen. And it was, again, it's just really a process for me. And then at some point, someone suggested that I start blogging about, so we're talking, I mean, I'm 50, yeah, 57 now, we're talking, you know, over 15 years ago. Uh, someone suggested that I start blogging. Blogging, you know, was kind of getting big then. And I was like, well, what am I going to blog about, you know? And it so happens that um, I had a friend who was very much into a personality system uh, called the Enneagram. And she was really, really into it. There are nine personality types on it. Many books. I mean, you can, anyone can Google it, the Enneagram. I mean, there's the Enneagram Institute and yeah. lots of people. I mean, anyone can, there's just lots of information out there about the Enneagram. And I had the same reaction. Of course, that was 
way before I had done my clinical internship, but I had the same reaction then. It was sort of like, you know, I'm too much of an individualist. And what was really funny about that is she was a very close friend at the time. And I was just like, no, you know, I just, I don't, I I can't buy into that kind of system that basically says that, you know, all of humanity can be reduced to nine personality types. And her response, my friend's response was, that's exactly what a five would say. Because I'm a five on the Enneagram. All right. <laughs> We're getting and there. It yeah. was, you know, it was just, okay. You know, so I still didn't really, I was like, yeah, well, yeah. Okay, fine. That was coincidence. Like I still didn't really buy into it. Fast forward many years later, um, I was in the Bay Area and I really hadn't thought about the Enneagram since it wasn't something I thought about. Um, and I was in the Bay Area. And so this was before, right, this is before I started blogging. Um, I happened to have a conversation with, I was having a conversation with someone I'd met and he mentioned the Enneagram. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I know about it. I'm not, I'm not impressed. And he said, well, then you don't understand it. So I said, well, you know, what do you mean? So he explained to me that because because I was like, look, you know, it doesn't account for individuality. And so he basically said to me that uh, it does account for individuality because on the Enneagram, they call they have what they call wings and then they have also other ways. And I've never taken a formal course on the Enneagram, never even read a book on the Enneagram, honestly. We had about a two hour conversation about the Enneagram and that really put gave me a baseline understanding. It's the kind of information that my mind sort of absorbs readily so literally you know the sum total of of any learning i've done about the enneagram is is that two-hour conversation but it sort of clicked for me in a way that i thought it's interesting I, i started seeing something to it and so then fast forward a little a little bit more you know whatever months or however long it was when you know someone said hey you should start just write a blog and I was like what am I going to write it about and at that point after I'd had that two-hour conversation it made me very curious and I would start like anyone who would indulge me uh I I would people knew that I was sort of knew about the Enneagram and I was I would like talk I enjoy talking to people about the Enneagram and um people would say to me yeah 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 I took the Enneagram test and I'm a this and in my mind, oftentimes I thought, no, 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 that's just wrong. You're not that type. But again, I hadn't had any formal training at all, but I still knew I was right because that's my personality type. And uh, so I ended up blogging about it. And my final kind of blog series about it, what I did was because I thought, you know, I was getting all these people after I started blogging, actually, people, you know, would kind of talk to me about it. And I started realizing that my perception of the Enneagram was was significantly different from what, you know, any, you know, official Enneagram people were thinking of the Enneagram. So I ended up writing this entire series of posts challenging the Riso Hudson, which certainly at the time was the most comprehensive uh, Enneagram um, assessment, if you will, or they called it an indicator by the Enneagram Institute. And I was very respectful, but I basically said how uh, it's misguided because what I ended up doing to start that is I, I, you know, I bought the test and I took it 
anyone who knows me knows the Enneagram knows I'm a five. And I came out. Uh, and so the way their test works. So the is, five, the five is the investigator, right? <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what they call it. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah. they call it. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, you could probably just, if you know, if you're familiar all with the Enneagram and even just from what I've said so far, you can probably figure out I'm a five. Like it, it's, I'm an unequivocal five. It's no one would debate this. Okay. Um, and uh, the way their test works is they have, you know, 144, I don't know, it's some odd number, you know, some number of um, statement pairs. And you pick the statement pair that's most true for you. Each statement pair corresponds to a personality type. And then at the end, you count up all your statement pairs for each personality type and the, and the personality type that you have the most statement fair, statement pair, not statement pairs, the personality type that you have the most statements checked off for is the personality type you're most likely to be. And then downward, right? So it's, it's, and they basically say, well, you're guaranteed to be in the top three. Now, first of all, three out of nine doesn't impress me. Like how, help, how can that be helpful? First of all, and five came out fourth for me. It wasn't even in my top three. So I, I thought, you know, this is just not, I'm sorry, but I respectfully disagree with just really what they think the Enneagram, you know, the Enneagram is because what's interesting is that the Enneagram has its roots in fourth century mysticism. And so, um, and I've always been, again, from, from, from when I was a young child, I've always been very much into spirituality and mysticism as much as I could be. So I respect that. And that's what made me think, you know, I believe that when it was first sort of developed in fourth century mysticism, uh, it was really founded on, you know, very, very profound principles that obviously, you know, over the, you know, millennia, you know, uh, as, as different cultures developed it, uh, you know, that a lot got lost in translation. And so, and this is again, very true to my personality type. My idea is, you know what? There's, there are fundamentally true principles here, but the way it's been developed uh, into the Enneagram is, is missing some key elements and, and misguided in some fundamental ways. So for me, one of the things, even as I was blogging about the Enneagram, one of the things that really bugged me about it is that it's very, very, uh, it appears to be very, very random and arbitrary. So it's like you have nine personality types and each one really appears to be this random collection of characteristics. You know what I mean? Um, you know, this person is uh, like, yeah, what did you say the five was? It's the, the is an investigator. Investigator, and, yeah. And, and like, why? Like, why is that person an investigator? Why is that the focal point? What about that speaks to something that's fundamental to the human condition and fundamental to human personality? Like who came up with that? You know what I mean? So to me, I feel, I felt like, you know what, in fourth century mysticism, when they sort of developed it, they, they were speaking to deeper truths about human experience and, and existential truths that they were aware of, but all that was lost. And so then you can have a lot of like broken telephone where it's, you know, miss it gets to something that's not really reflecting the deeper truth. So that was one thing that really bugged me about it, that it just seems so arbitrary and random, which to me was not, was, was, was troublesome. Um, the, the other thing about it was that 
the way the Enneagram, I'll say culture, certainly presents the Enneagram is that at least as, as I came across, again, never took a formal class with them. I am not knocking the Enneagram Institute at all. I'm just giving my personal experience. Never took a class with them, have no direct experience with them. You know, no, I'm not being critical of them at all as an organization. But sort of if you were just look online at people who were using the Enneagram or, you know, therapists or people who were sort of saying, hey, this is a tool I use. For the most part, the way I saw really entirely, the way I saw it presented was, this is going to help me as a therapist figure out where your weaknesses are. And we, I can help fix what those weaknesses are by helping you understand where you need to balance yourself. Okay. Now, I, I take fundamental issue with that approach. So, you know, fast forwarding way ahead back, you know, after then once I developed, I, I, after I wrote that series where I challenged Theresa Hudson, I kind of had a real watershed moment where I realized I can't be calling what I'm doing the Enneagram at all. Um, I mean, it, it was funny because my blog was called the unofficial Enneagram. <laughs> Um, or not the, no, no, it was called the, not the official Enneagram because I wanted to make sure people knew that I wasn't like formally trained or anything. But I realized that I, even saying the Enneagram at all, what I was doing was not the Enneagram and, and I made some significant changes to it. And so that's when I started developing and saying, okay, once I'm developing my own algorithm, where's it coming from? Like, first of all, I need to resolve the most fundamental problem that I have with the Enneagram, which is that it seems so arbitrary. So I need to go to the root of, of, of human existential just truth and, and, and start from there. And I can use kind of my experiential success with the Enneagram concepts. And so I can sort of borrow from, if you will, or, or sort of use the Enneagram con general concepts as a sort of jumping off point. but really um, what I'm adding is significant enough to really make it a different personality algorithm system. Um, so in my system or my approach, my philosophical approach to personality is that based on the idea that the world, human beings are not the problem, the world is. And that goes against, uh, you know, I grew up religious. Um, very much God is perfect. Uh, you know, everything in the world is for a reason. It's all perfect. So it was really a huge leap for me to get to that place. I consider myself a very spiritual person, but I really needed to give myself permission to say, because I have just seen, I've seen enough in, the, in life to really need to do that, need to go to that place of saying, people are not the problem. The world is. And so the way the world is designed is extremely challenging. And as human beings, we are trying to survive that. We are trying to thrive in that. So personality is the existential toolbox. It's the toolbox of tools that we can use to survive in this world. And oftentimes, our toolbox is not a perfect fit for our circumstances. Not to mention the fact that there are some circumstances that there's no real tool that human beings have to deal with, you know, as, as, as readily as, as, you know, we would like. 
So the way I look at personality is, and, and I'll come back then to, you know, to my algorithm, sort of parallel to the way the Enneagram has personality and wings. My personality, although they function in, in different ways, but in my personality algorithm, there are also nine personality types on a closed loop. Whatever someone's core personality, the personality types positioned on either side, I refer to as their bodyguard personalities. And each personality type, like I said, is a toolbox. So we're born with our default toolbox. Uh, you know, our core personality, our default toolbox. In life, we're pretty much guaranteed that one toolbox, I mean, even three toolboxes, even three toolboxes may not be enough. But certainly one toolbox is not going to be enough for every type of situation we encounter. And so we have two other toolboxes, our bodyguard toolboxes, that we have the ability to reach into when, you know, when, when deemed necessary, when needed for any number of reasons, where the core toolbox just feels like not the right fit. Okay. Maybe no toolbox is the best fit, but it feels like, okay, this is really a bad fit. You know, I need to find another toolbox. So what I set out to do, so I'm, I know I'm sort of going back and forth in time, but um, when I realized that I was developing my own algorithm, so again, addressing the two issues of don't like the arbitrariness and really important to me to becoming from a strength-based perspective. So if I'm working with someone, if I'm using the Enneagram to support someone, through a relationship issue, through a personal issue, I'm not coming and saying, okay, you know, this tells me that this is your weakness. So here's what we need to do to overcome that weakness. What I am coming and saying is this tells me, knowing your personality type tells me that these are your strengths. These are the toolboxes that you have the ability to reach into. And because of experiences that you've had, you may not have had an opportunity to use those tools in a safe way or to use those tools in a way that really served you. But you have these tools. So, so what I'm going to do to try to be helpful is help empower you in using the tools that you were born with in a way that feels safe. Despite the fact that when you were first in a position where you kind of had to use these tools, it was hard. It was hard to make it safe. And, and, and it created all kinds of other reactions within you. So it's all strengths-based. It's coming from a place of this world is so full of challenges. And it has made it really hard for you to use every tool in your toolbox. But you have these tools. So, you know, let's see if we can, you know, help you reconnect with those tools in a way that feels good. And that really gives you as much access as you want to them. You know, that's, that's my principle. Now, it, you know, philosophically, I had to kind of overcome this issue of arbitrariness. So I thought, okay. And this, I would say was a process that took months, if not years. I mean, it was a gradual process. Um, of everyone who would indulge me, I would talk to them, ask them questions, 
figure out kind of personality type in general, sort of, again, using the Enneagram as, as a touch point, but sort of asking other questions, trying to figure out where the connections were made, you know, like, sorry, trying to figure out where the personality connections were made. And what started emerging for me was that I still like the nine personality types, but I was nine was not just some random number that was, you know, just random number around a circle. Nine is three by three. So nine, it would make sense to me that people who were really in touch with sort of the deep truths of human consciousness, I guess, um, in, in um, you know, in, in fourth century mysticism would have an awareness of, and, and I'm not, I'm not a tech person at all. So, you know, it, I, I may be using these terms in a way that's, that's, you know, humorously just inaccurate or wrong, but, you know, even like the zero sum sort of, right, the, what, we, what we base artificial intelligence on. So there's something fundamental to that that is also relevant to the human mind, not just to the, to the computer mind. And there's something about going down, you know, to the, to the lowest common denominator, right? That's something that's very kind of, that's how we get down to the most core principles. And so for me, I started, to, started emerging for me this three by three. Okay. And, and that already was like, okay, great. That's where I want to go because... If we have two general concepts, two general areas that are, that are existentially profound, right? And then we sort of intersect them. We can get not, and we have three options for each category. And then we can get nine personality types. And it would make sense to me that in fourth century mysticism, that this is, this is actually what they were doing. You know what I mean? So again, it was so much just, uh, thinking, a lot of thinking, you know, my personality, um, the investigator, you know, something I say to, to really capture for people is for my personality type, thinking is an activity. Like when I grew up and I was a young child, if I was thinking, I was doing something that was an activity. And I thought that everyone was like that for a lot of people thinking is not an activity. Okay. But for me, it is. So if I'm thinking about this, I'm sitting and really thinking I'm, I'm being active, right? This is activity for me. So I would just think about this and be like, okay, what fits together? How does it, and what eventually emerged, emerged again, months, years. Um, and over the years, then, you know, it would kept getting finessed, 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 but the concept where there are two fundamental questions and I don't want to be too specific because um, as you and I have discussed, um, when, when to determine someone's personality type, I've actually developed two multiple choice questions that reflect these existential concepts. And I ask people these questions. So if someone listens to the podcast and, you know, reaches out to me and they answer yeah. the question, I don't want to be too specific uh, in, in right now sharing these concepts because it would influence sort of possibly how they would answer the questions. But um Suffice it to say that these are two very, very fundamental, you know, really. And I think I've, I've asked you the questions, so yeah. you, know, you can agree or disagree, but 
you know, I think they're really two, really, I believe to be the two most fundamental existential elements of human personality, of human identity. You know what I mean? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I thought it was, I mean, and that's why I, thanks again for all that, uh, the context behind that, because I was also curious, but when I, when you asked me the questions, um, and, and, and I answered genuinely, which is why I think that's, it's important to keep the questions confidential. Yes. Um, when you answer genuinely, and as, you know, participant, I'm just thinking, you know, what do I want uh, in my heart of hearts and my, you know, optimal mindset? Um, and that comes out with what you would sort of determine as, you know, the core personality yeah. with the bodyguards. Exactly. Um, so I thought that was, that was fantastic. But, you know, sort of going back to like your interest in personality, compatibility, yeah. relationship. Oh, yes. Going to the relationship piece. I'm so, yeah. yeah, exactly. I know. I know you let me talk for so long. Please feel free to edit out whatever. No, you no, I would not edit. I feel it was oh. all relevant. Don't worry. Okay. My, my okay. question was. Yeah. About relationships, yeah. Not just relationships. Why would you? Why did you use the term conflict or unconflict? What was? Yeah. I'm my personality again. This is very much true to my personality. I'm a very, very, very uh, honest person, even to the point where, um, in this case, it's not brutal to anyone else. But I, I reveal. I'm just. I'm a brutally honest person. So I'm going to actually answer that in a way that, you know, may not be what you expect. It's. It's sort of. sort of funny uh, to me anyway. So when I was thinking about branding myself, and this was maybe three or so years ago, I don't know. Yeah. Three to five years ago, I was really trying to, you know, figure out my exact, because I had done, I had sort of made various attempts at branding um, and, you know, none of them really had taken off and I'm terrible at marketing, as I've said. And I was really trying to figure out, okay, how can I brand myself in a way that's going to work? Like, I'm just so tired of just, not being able to brand myself effectively. And so I attended a, uh, basically a training for entrepreneurs, um, a workshop that helped entrepreneurs basically with their branding, essentially. I mean, you know, it helped in different ways. And, and for me, I was there to sort of help me with my branding. And I ended up uh, having a few conversations I ended up actually helping that person with a few workshops and, you know, sort of having more conversations with them. And I kept saying to him, he was like, okay, so, you know, what's, what do you, what do you want help with? And I said, well, look, I, I really want to figure out how to brand myself because it's, and he's like, well, what are you branding? What, what's the, you know, what are you, what are you offering? You know, I mean, he knew, but it was sort of, this was sort of the, the, the line of questions. And I was saying, and I was like, yeah, it's my personality algorithm. And he said, that's not, that's, what's the value in that? You know, what are, what are you actually offering people? You're not, you're not offering people a personality algorithm. Like who, no one needs a personality algorithm. Like, what is that? You know? Um, and I know it sounds harsh. We were friends. He was very, he's also a very brutally honest person. And I welcomed it because I needed someone to really get me to, you know, answer these questions, you know? And I was like, no, because it's my personality algorithm and uh and he was like yeah but what's your value what's your value why should someone care you know what's your value and this went on for a while and he basically was like look you need to figure out where the value is for people so finally reluctantly i sort of came up with the idea well 
I can use it to help people resolve conflict. Like literally, that's how I felt at the time initially. And I was like, well, okay, uh, what's my URL going to be? And then I was like, look, and then I was like, uh, unconflict. And it was available. And I'm like, wow, okay, that must be a sign because who would have thought unconflict would be available, right? And at the time I was, yeah, I, I really was like, thinking okay I guess I have to do it this like I wasn't I wasn't even actually getting what I was doing but it was sort of like I, I, I'm just trying to have a brand that actually you know is like meaningful to people like that was it you know and what ended up happening is it like it it, it actually led me to itself like do you know what I mean it was like people were responding and they were getting it and it was working and I was like wait wait this no this is I am it is working you know like it was yeah. just like wait a minute and it was like I, I and I loved it, it was just I love doing it like it just felt so great to do like it was just oh my gosh like this is so cool. Like it was, you know what I mean? So it wasn't, it, it didn't going into it. There wasn't as much, you know, intention or intentionality or intention as you might've thought, you know, it sort of, it was just like, I, I was forced into it initially just for branding purposes. And then it was like, wow, wait, but yes, no, it's good. You know? So here you um, have this, this toolbox that you said that, yeah that is now applicable to something so relevant like conflict which yes. is ripe in in today's world and like you come, you come back to the individualist mindset like you were like you said like you, you always yeah. were and i find that when you identify yourself as an individual you understand how you relate to others right so and, exactly. and, the, and the situations that you're in so how does it then become something that um and how does your sort of algorithm then, you know, help somebody who's looking to understand themselves? How does it yeah. like sort of become something, um, you know, deeper than, you know, like you said, the, the three by three types, we won't exactly. really compare it to the Enneagram, but what is it, what is something that in your fundamental algorithm that makes it so unique? Cause I've went through it and I was like, you nailed it. How did, you know, it's, it's very yeah. close to, to who I am. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just to say that when you say you did, basically I asked you the questions you answered, and then I sort of, um, I explained, you know, what that tells me about your personality and yeah, you felt it was, it was very accurate. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I want to say a couple of things. I do want to make a reference. Um, so there are many fundamental differences, uh, between what I do in the Enneagram specifically one of the small, but still significant pieces is that although the personalities, um, on my personality algorithm in the when when they're positioned in a closed loop as far as you know the bodyguard positioning and everything it's a parallel order to the enneagram except for the first and the last so um i take what the enneagram calls nine and one and i switch them and again there are many other differences but fundamentally i've actually even changed even the parallel i've actually made it you know, there's a change. And so I just want to, in addition to all the kind of deeper changes, I just want to be clear about that. Something else I want to say is that, so right now I have a podcast called Speaking of Humanity. Uh, the best way to find it is to Google 
speaking of humanity, all is one word, no spaces, and then a space, and then the word podcast. Uh, and then you'll, you know, it'll come up with my name, Nahama Robinson. On my podcast right now, I am having um, a podcast series where I'm interviewing singles who want to, they want to meet people. And this is relevant to your question, by the way. And what I do is I talk about their personality and then I talk about the personality type of personality types that I think they are most likely to have success with and, and most likely to be compatible with. And it pretty much, um, if you, if you listen to those, you know, to, to most of the interviews, people at the end will say, oh my gosh, I learned so much about myself. So learning about ourselves and learning about compatibility and relationship and communication relationship is all connected. So I, I, I kind of want to point that out. It, it's really all connected. Um, okay. And, and now ask your question again. Um, I forget, ask your question again. I just want, didn't want to forget to make those points. But yeah, absolutely. Question? My question was like, just around, um, you know, what is it about learning about one's personality that helps them do conflict right. resolution better? Exactly, exactly. So there are different categories of conflict, I'll say. In, and, and right now, just, just for simplicity's sake or sort of to just um, narrow our focus, um, I'll talk about romantic relationships. So in romantic relationships, I would say there are different levels of conflict. Um, and by that, I mean, you have some conflicts that really are reflective of the fact that it, it's, it's not a productive relationship. Like, like it's really not, you know, it, it's at best, it's going to be, you know, people kind of forcing themselves to stay together when neither one is truly happy. Okay, and you have some some kinds of conflict that really are reflecting that deeper truth, and you have other types of conflict or levels of conflict that become obstacles to people in the relationship feeling close, despite the fact that on a very deep level they truly love each other and want to have a lifelong commitment or a long term commitment, whatever that means to them. But that there's this thing that it's like a thorn in the side of the relationship that just doesn't let it be all that it can be. Okay, so in either of those cases, understanding oneself can help. In the first scenario, helping doesn't mean, I mean, what helping means is helping people have free will. And what helping means, it's helping me, pe helping people, giving people the information that they need to make informed decisions, to make the decision they really want to make. So if you have a couple, because let's say you have a couple even where, you know, ultimately both of them would, or, or it can be complicated. Sometimes you have one person who would want to stay and, it's, and the other person not, but essentially if the relationship is not, you know, it's it, it's not a healthy two-way street, if you will. Um, and even in that case, if to separate, how to separate, what to do after you separate, if, especially if there are kids involved, right? 
is, is just huge. It's huge. But when you understand sort of what's at the root of, of the incompatibility, then you can forgive yourself and the other person and you can sort of pivot the relationship dynamic in a way that allows it to be healthy, even if it's not romantic or even if it's not whatever some preconceived notion of it was before, you know? So, um, I mean, I can give you an example, but, but let me, let me go, go to the other category first and sort of say, when you have a relationship where people love each other, but they just keep having these things come up, that's extremely common. And the reason that's extremely common is that our personalities, which are comprised of, you know, in my algorithm, core personality, two bodyguards, the sum of that personality triad and sort of the, the, the way, the complex way that that personality, that those three toolboxes sort of get used can, going, going back to what I was saying about predictability, sorry, going back to what I was saying about the scientific measure of a system is one of those measures is, is it, does it predict well? And so you can actually predict from my algorithm, you can predict the type of conflicts people might have once you know their personality type. And you can predict a lot of them that really have nothing to do with anything deeply meaningful. They just have to do with sort of the um, default ways that that personality uses the tools in their toolbox because that's just what they've developed because that's what's worked for them as individuals in their lives. And then if you realize that if they come together with someone else who, there's, I mean, if you think of humanity and all the individuality, of course, there's a very high chance, it's pretty much guaranteed that the other person you're going to be in a romantic relationship with is going to have some aspect of how they use some tool that sort of, you know, is not, doesn't, you know, comes up against the way you use one of your tools. And once you realize that, both people can be like, oh, really? Oh, when that happened, I thought it meant that you really didn't care or whatever. Oh, yeah, because I thought that, you know, when that happened, you know, you just whatever. And then you realize, oh, no, that's just because. You know, it's just because that's how they've gotten used to using their tools. And I'm not saying it's always super easy to change because depending on how old we are, we've developed our tools to be used a certain way. But even just the awareness can help. And then we can make choices about, okay, how can we navigate this better? But at minimum, we sort of take it out of the realm of every time this happens, I'm deeply hurt because I interpret it as meaning and, and as proof that this person really doesn't see me and doesn't care about me to meaning, oh, every time this happens, I know it's just this random coincidental, you know, just 
yeah, let's look around the world and see, you know, like, why would we expect this not to happen given how the world is designed? You know what I mean? Like, it's just a silly world thing. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. about us. Um, and in the other type of relationship, even then, first of all, there are times when people really think, oh my God, it means that we just don't love each other. And then they realize, oh my God, we actually do love each other, you know? Right. Um, but even at times when they're like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? We do realize that deeply we're just not meant to be together. It's not healthy. It's not what we want. Even then it's still, it helps communicate because if I know that this is how the other person kind of communicates for a certain, whatever, it, it just helps. It, it helps get you where you want to go essentially. And, and I'll say that I speak from personal experience. I speak from personal experience. Um, I have had my my natural personality um, is comfortable being adversarial. It just is, you know. And and I've spent most of my life being very comfortable being adversarial. Um, someone in my family, you know, someone. Uh, a family member who, who I love, you know, um, kind of equated it. Um, and, you know, she said to me, she's like, yeah, you're like, you know, come fight with me in my fight garden, you know, and that, that sort of, you know, that's a characteristic that to me, it just, what do you mean? Sure. Yeah. My fight garden, that sounds like fun, you know, but for a lot of people, that's, that, that doesn't feel good, you know? And, um, it's something, you know, that's just one of many, many, many examples that I've, everything I do, I can equate to a personal learning experience about it. And that's, 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 you know, my own personal experience, other people's personal experiences, it's all very real world sort of, you know, garnered from, from real world experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, I think what you were mentioning and something that I used to look at before, it was like the big five personality traits, right? Like, so I think what you were referring to is like agreeableness, right? So you have ocean, which is openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Um, and that's like a very standardized Ooh. kind of way of looking at it, right? Um, but I think going back to what you said, and I, I like the using the example of romantic relationships because it's pure um, as opposed to working relationships, which can get a little muddled. Um, you know, going back to that, I think you you said it's very strengths based um, your analysis, um, and I like that, right? So, and, and oftentimes in relationships, we're often looking at balance, right? Like, oftentimes mm -hmm. one of us thinks that we're doing more or less, right? And, and that yes. becomes the conflict, right? Yes. Um, and so somebody's weakness feels heavier to the other person or somebody's strength feels more important to the other person. So I feel like yeah. that's, uh, and that's one of my questions I had for you is, do you often see that people are answering dishonestly or dishonestly without knowing it, or they're over-indexing to who they want to be without really you know answering the question internally like you know this is the answer i would answer selfishly like you said you're very brutally yeah. honest about yourself yeah but let's say in front of somebody i don't want to admit that exactly. <laughs> or like yes i want to admit that to a therapist sometimes right so yeah. you encounter that a lot you know it's a really interesting question i actually encounter it a lot less than i would expect because 
um, when I developed these questions, um, I sort of thought about that and thought, okay, why wouldn't people answer dishonestly? Why wouldn't they answer based on, you know, what they want me to think? But I've tried to design the questions in a way that all the options feel good and feel feel strengths-based. So I really have done my best to create questions that will draw people to answer what's true for them. You know, I've, that's, I've, I've really worked hard on that aspect and, and I think it has mostly, um, yeah, it's, it's mostly panned out. That's, that's awesome. So, I mean, that's one of those things that I was personally curious about when looking at uh, personality types. Um, And so how does one, let's say when you come to an analysis, you know, and there are, uh, you can go to unconflict.com and check out the personality types. So, but let's say you've come to an analysis, how does one, do you also talk about how to optimize these strengths? Yeah, it depends what the person's need is. So um, if, if it's a relationship situation, talking about how certain dynamics in their personalities would tend to interact, usually if it's more than one person, there's a conflict, you know, um, and they're usually conflicts that sort of characterize the stress in their relationship. And so really understanding the first step is really understanding how it's aspects of their personality that are sort of pulling them back to that every time, you know, so even if they, they have the conflict and then they go to a therapist or they try to work through it on their own, they're like, okay, we've dealt with that, but then it comes back again. Like, why does it keep coming back? It keeps coming back because it's, it may also be about an issue and, you know, conflicts are often complex, but the part of it that really is the kind of um, bungee cord that keeps pulling it back to square one, even after they feel they've made progress is the fact that it's actually about their own, the way they use the tool, their own tools in their personality. Like actually, you know, we think when, when we think of conflict with another human being, we think about, we think that every aspect of the conflict actually has to do with the relationship, right? Especially if it's a conflict that keeps coming up with them and doesn't come up with other people, then we'll think, well, it's not about me because it doesn't come up with anybody else. But it, it, no, it, it has, it can often have to do with specifically the way that some aspect of how you use your tools and how they use their tools in the context of a romantic relationship, but heads, you know what I mean? It's, it's a very specific sort of almost technicality, if you will, you know, of how you use your tools. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an analogy. It's sort of, Let's say, um, let's say that you have two people who are building a house together, okay? And uh, they each have a toolbox and, you know, they, they, they focus on different aspects. You know, one person focuses on, you know, actually, you know, hammering in the beams. And the other person is focused on pouring the concrete and painting. Okay, so they each have sort of different tools for their job. Now, there are going to be times when, you know, the, I mean, obviously, 
you know, the, the painting has to come after the wood, but you know, they, they're going to, there's going to come a time when the, when the person with the concrete's like, Oh, I want to do, you know, yeah, I think I should do that now. And then the other person's like, well, no, because I need to do that first. Like the way they've, the way they've gotten, it's a really bad analogy. It's not so good, but I'm just saying it's the way that they sort of have just learned is the most productive way, the most successful way to function when they're on their own just happens to sort of get in the way or sort of be a trigger for some aspect of how the other person has used to got has gotten used to doing things on their own you know what i mean it's it, it doesn't have to do with the fact that they actually can't build a house together it just has to do with the fact that the way they're used to doing it is and not just used to it but it's used to it at a very deep level right because ever since they were born they've been developing these tools so and and progress isn't always linear right like the way uh, when you go back to the the standardized testing in schools when you were talking about in your past i mean i can very much relate to it right i i had like if i go back and diagnose myself i probably have add uh and now it's a diagnosed condition that a lot of kids are getting like you know treatment for right and and it's it's taken seriously back then it was like uh hey you know you're just distracted um and and like the analogy was you know you can't teach a fish to climb a tree right so it was it was you know the standardized way of doing things isn't the the most optimal way of of progress and so your your toolbox essentially what i find interesting about it is you find a -a one-of-a-kind personality every time you kind of you know talk to someone and that softens the the let's say the the figurative blow of like like let's say i have an insecurity about my own weaknesses it makes you feel like, okay, I am one of a kind and, and my own problems are my own. Right. Because the, the, there are an infinite number of ways that the core and two bodyguards of each personality type can interact. Um, there are just many factors that can come into play. And, you know, as I, as I said to you, um, as, right, I, as I had mentioned to you, if you have a hundred people of, a given personality type in a room, no one would say these are clones of each other, but someone intuitive would say these people have something in common. I just can't put my finger on it. Um, but there's so much variability. Again, that's what accounts for individuality, but understanding. So look, when I ask you the question, that tells me your core personality. Um, it, it's honestly, it's just my depth of experience um doing this for years that allows me to then use information from a brief conversation to really sort of get a sense pretty quickly of you know the complete dynamic of how your bodyguards are interacting with your core personality um so it's it's you know, it's an algorithm that has kind of many stages to it, many steps to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's why, like, I mean, I see in my mind, like I see so many like applications towards it. I, and obviously, you know, you, you're probably fe- like facing this daily uh, and probably have been asked these questions, but do you see like commercial applications to it that 
could have widespread use cases, uh, you know, beyond therapy, or do you think this should be, you know, um, an intimate one-to-one -one type consultation? Because like the way I see it, you know, the, the dating apps out there are so superficial, right? Or connecting yeah. apps out there are, are very superficial. Um, you know, there's apps like Meetup that are great to, to help people meet up and, and socialize, mm -hmm. but Beyond that, I don't think there's much in that landscape of really deeper connections and fostering deeper understanding of one's individuality. Um, and I think, you know, obviously there's a gap there, there's a market there, but yeah. I'm just curious, you know, what yeah. your your idea is, how do you want to take this going forward? So, um, like I said in my podcast, um, I'm interviewing singles because I do think that it's a very positive you know, or can be a very positive contributor to that whole culture. Um, what I will say is that I've always seen myself as and wanted to be and sort of really put myself in the category of a social entrepreneur. And what that means is that equally as important, and honestly, for me, more, more important uh, is you know, at, at, at the deepest level, because of who I am, uh, it's actually fundamentally more important to me that equally as important to being financially sustainable, I really want to be making a meaningful, positive contribution to society. And, you know, to be, you know, completely transparent, I honestly believe that my algorithm can make a serious dent in the um, hate culture that we, you know, are all just, that's, that's really grown to epidemic proportions. Very, very important, I think, for sure. Um, do you want me to kind of explain the specifics yeah. of that? I, please, please do. Okay, okay. So one of the things, when I was... Um, completing my master's degree, my, my thesis, um, which didn't directly relate to this, but, but I'll kind of explain why I'm bringing it up, explored the link between rhythm and empathy as relevant to intervention targeting preschoolers. So there was a huge amount of uh, research um, that I did. And not, not when I say research, it was um, like study research, like researching but not not like I conducted my own research, but like reading research. You know what I mean? Looking at at studies that had been peer, done in the peer world. reviewed. Got it. Yeah. Peer, exactly. Review research. Exactly. Um, and one of the most fascinating. I mean, literally, I looked at a thousand studies. Literally, um, I ended up citing seventy of them in my paper. And the one study that I remember, it just, it just. I never, like, I think, think about it. Um, it's someplace in my consciousness, almost on a daily basis, like it just struck me so powerfully, is that infants, as young as 20 minutes old, there's indication, there's, I mean, but they consider evidence, you know, solid evidence, that they are already asking the question, are you the same as me or different from me? So what that indicates is that it is hardwired into our brain to ask the question, are you the same as me or different from me? So 
We're never going to get rid of that. But here's the thing. How we answer that question is learned. So if you have someone who grows up in a completely homogeneous society, everyone looks the same, sounds the same, homogeneous community. Everyone, look, everyone looks the same, sounds the same. That's going to become their answer to who is the same as me. And anyone who's different from that, they will feel is different from them. If you have someone who grows up in a very diverse community, then that's that whole diverse group, like human, you know, or whatever, is going to be their definition of the same as me. Okay. And anyone who's not, which you're, you're not really, you know, in theory, you wouldn't be left with anyone, would be considered different. Now, the other thing that's hardwired into our brain is that when we, perceive someone as different, it is hardwired into our brain to perceive that as a threat, as threatening, as us, you know, feeling unsafe. Okay. Unfamiliar equals not safe in our brain, hardwired. Okay. So what that means is that the place where we can, the place where we can make an impact is in how we answer the question. We can't stop asking the question. We can't really change. I mean, we can, but ugh, it's going to be tough to change our reaction once we determine someone to be different. So the most I think we can do, and other people might have different interpretations of all this, but this is kind of my conclusion. The best we can do is change our approach to answering the question. Now, in our society, how do we answer the question? First impressions, Right how you look. I see you, bam, I see you walking down the street. I immediately decide if you're the same as me or different from me. I immediately decide what group you fit into. I immediately decide what I think of you and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, children, right. Who, who are not, you know, they're not going to sit there and, and analyze personality. Right. So it's not something we can't, there's not really a way to, to kind of, you know, from when babies are born, get them to, you know, answer according to personality. Although we, of course, could expose, like, you know, when you have a child, even if you happen to be, you know, living in a very homogeneous community, books, pictures, media, right? You know, uh, toys that reflect diversity will, will are, I think, no studies. I mean, there may have been studies. I don't know specifically of studies about this, but I would think would also be something that would be helpful in how that child learns to answer that question. But the other piece is that there are two aspects to how we answer that question. One is, okay, we assume it's going to be based on what we, our senses, right? Um, and then we kind of try to create diversity in, in you know, what, our, what that child's senses input right? What, what their senses input for them. But the other aspect is, what if for grownups, we could sort of offer an alternative, an alternative way to determine if someone's the same or different that goes beyond our senses. So let's say we can introduce the idea that's all strengths-based, all positive. Gosh, you know, I see someone, I wonder if they're the same as different, if they're the same as me or different from me. Ooh, you know, um, 
okay, are they, what's their personality? Okay. Are they a, you know, so, so the categories are, I'll just say, for example, you know, the, the two categories um, in my personality algorithm, um, one category has options, you know, social ideas or physical, and the other category has options, explore, change maker, connector. So, you know, someone would be like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a physical personality. You know what? I, I, I bet they're a physical personality too. That's what it looks like. You know, if we, we give another, another, another set of measures, you know, another kind of um, another option for how we go about answering that question and, and thinking about how we're going to answer it. So I really believe that if this personality algorithm became familiar to people in a way, and, and that's, you know, the, the, the way I introduce it is it's strengths-based. It's, I, I want to make it fun. This is not about one more thing that tells you what you're doing wrong. One more thing that tells you how you need to fix yourself. One more thing that's, you know, boring and dry and God, you know, just tells me that I need to memorize things that I don't really care about. I want to do the opposite. I want to create a resource that is fun. People want to use it, makes people feel good about themselves feel good about other people and makes them want to recognize when other people are the same and different from them. Because the thing about personality is, so if you, if you look at, you know, our history, history, history of the world, you know, and, and just, you know, hate, hate throughout history. Okay. One of the things that happens is we go to that very infantile, you know, we're not just infantile. We go to that very hardwired piece of, okay, are they same or different from me? Then uh, I determine they're different. Bam, fear response. Okay. One of the things that allows us to do that is that the way we ask the question is the way we could ask the question of an object. So if, if I'm going to decide, if I'm going to determine, if I, if I, if, hmm, sorry, if I'm, if the way I determine whether you are the same or different from me is something I could also apply to an object. Like if I say, oh, do you look like me? Well, I could also apply that to an object. Does a chair look like me? No, nope, it doesn't. Okay. Um, do you talk like me? Well, does a, I don't know, something that makes noise. Does it sound like me? Right. If I can sort of apply that to an object, then once I determine that something is different from me or someone is different from me, I can objectify it. If the way I answer the question of whether someone is the same or different from me sort of necessitates, you know, it sort of, it sort of requires sort of part of that process without me even realizing it is to ask about, to think about who they are on the inside, what their personality is, that creates a barrier to objectifying them because I wouldn't be able to say to a chair, oh, uh, what's the chair's personality? It would be, you know, I couldn't really do that. So by definition, once I'm asking about their personality and even just the, just, just that moment, as long as it takes to just say, 
oh, I wonder what the personality is. Already, just by, just by saying that, I've made it harder for my brain to objectify them. And that's, I think that's brilliant because, I mean, uh, I think a lot of us try to do that on a daily basis, but then I, I think our tribal brains get in the way, right? Which is mm -hmm. that negative categorization um, yeah. and, and, and very basic categorization. I think what you're doing is, you know, providing a lens that allows us to categorize in a more um, accurate way, but also more positive way, right? Like, yeah, um, exactly more positive not just for us like if we were to think selfishly it is a selfish thing to think yeah. positively as well um, exactly. and i also think you know I mean, this is my theory but going back to you know human history we've been you know warfaring creatures right so yes. a lot of times our ideology has been very divisive our ideologies yeah. that separate us um, exactly. are superficial and divisive by nature because you need to command armies of people you need to command armies of nations and so on exactly. so um and you know in today's world when when you know you and i are having this conversation yeah. you know uh, sitting here in north america like it it wouldn't have happened 50 years ago so just exactly the ability of ideas now breaking down into something that can be positive is is something yeah. that i think is everybody needs to know um, how to view somebody else in a more positive way. How, what's their positive, you know, strength? Yeah. What's their toolbox? Exactly. And, 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 you know, understanding what the human, what the hardwired aspects are and realizing where we have that window of opportunity. And I think that's what's so important is to really identify that window of opportunity and then use it. Instead of trying to bang our head against the wall and change things that will never be changed. I mean, it would be wonderful to say, you know, even though someone's different, we should not be afraid of them. You know what? I agree. But that's never going to stop being hardwired into our brain. So it's fighting a losing battle, trying to sort of, to, I think, obviously people may disagree, but I think they're trying to kind of focus, okay, that's going to save us from our, you know, self-destructive culture, I, I, I think is, I'm not, I think has less chance of success because we're, we're pushing against something that is hardwired. So we need to find where, where that room is, that's not, where that space is, that's not hardwired, where the actual, you know, flexibility is built in and use that, and use the flexibility where it is, but we have to identify what that is. It's kind of like a hardware software analogy, right? We have the hardware, yes. we just need the software to be fine-tuned a little bit. I think it's, it's yes. catching up yes. to us. Yes, I think that's a great analogy, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for your time. So, I mean, I, this is something I could talk about for hours. Yeah, um, yeah. If you have you know, something to, to close off with, uh, I would love to, to hear your thoughts on, um, on that. I have nothing else to say. Thank you for letting me go on and on and on. I know no, I can talk is, a lot. This is amazing. Um, I, yeah. Thank you for indulging me. Um, I just would love again to mention that if anyone listening to your podcast is single, this not, you know, it's okay. If it's, if you don't want to, if you want to, you know, edit this plug out, I understand, but a plug for my own podcast. Uh, if any, if anyone in your audience is single and would like to be interviewed on my podcast, um, in a series that I call speaking of dating profiles, uh, where I 
interview, I would interview you. Um, yeah. And, and basically you try to figure out who you might want to look out for as far as, you know, finding someone compatible. Um, then I would say, yeah, message me through my website. Um, www.unconflict.com. So, you know, just feel free to send me a message through my website. Um, and again, the podcast itself is Speaking of Humanity. Best way to find it is to Google Speaking of Humanity, all one word, and then space, and then the word podcast. Um, and then it should come right up uh, with my name, Nahama Robinson. Thank you so much, Nehama. This has been enlightening, and I'm going to check out. Check, I'm I'm married, but I'll still check out that podcast. Oh I yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting that you're doing that. And um, yeah. honestly, thank you so much for your time, uh, and uh, we'll we'll stay in touch. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in to Speaking of Humanity, a podcast about human connection.